Hans and Scotty right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Let's go out to the Sprint special guest line and welcome in the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. David, I know you and like everybody else, we were glued to our TV watching an incredible game last night. Uh, we'll talk about the KD injury coming up a little bit here in a, or coming up here in a bit. But just overall, as a fan of the league, just how much fun was that last night for you? So I mean, we're all known for hyperbole and we forget things, but I, I felt like that was about as good a fourth quarter of an NBA Finals game as I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I'm sure there have been better ones. Um, I'm not sure there have been better ones when you start adding the pieces and the layers to the story. You know, Kawhi's two-minute two run in the fourth was historic. It won't go down because they lost, so it will probably be forgotten. Um, but that was as vintage Jordan. And, and if you actually go through a lot of Jordan's NBA Finals moments when he gets hot, they're not, you know, the Portland one where they're playing the Blazers and he gives the, oh, my gosh, the, and then the run against the Lakers, those actually aren't fourth quarter runs. They're just kind of periods of the game where he takes over. So that was, you know, I think one of the all-time great two-minute runs by Kawhi, considering the moment, the time. Then, you know, the champions once again will not go away. And I think there's something to that. Like, if you look at the past dynasties we've had in the league, they've all kind of give the Warriors this credit. I don't know that they win this series, but the Miami went in five and the Lakers went in five. And when those dynasties were done, they, they got to the finals and then they just kind of petered out. I thought that was a, in the legacy of what the Warriors are, I think that was actually a pretty important moment um, that Steph and Clay went and got at least just one more win in the way they did it. Um, so there was just, there was an awful lot to that. And then obviously it's all, uh, with Toronto being the city and the emotion and the energy in that arena was just going crazy. And then obviously with the Durant stuff. So you talk about the Durant stuff, obviously comes out first quarter, a couple of minutes into the second, 11 points hidden from the perimeter, showing passing ability, everything that you needed from Kevin. And then we see the Achilles go out. Um, we're waiting for word on the MRI, but I think we all know what it is. A lot is starting to leak out on it. Um, David you could see him, hands. You could literally see him reach, yeah. and fi- feel the hole. Oh like yeah, you could. Like there was, like I know Mike Breen was trying to not be Chris Weber um, from the previous game when Weber was like, "It's an Achilles, it's Achilles." Like, but you, in this circumstance, you could really see him literally reach down and, and feel the hole. Yep. Um, yeah, and it was. He that knew. Was pretty, that was yeah. It was pretty horrendous. Uh, I want you to give us, you've been around these players and the way they interact with doctors. Obviously, I use my experience to, as, a, as a player and a doctor relationship to try to give my opinion on this. But give me your best guess on how the decision came down for him to play. So I don't know anything, so I really probably can't comment on this specifically. Um, I do think that this injury... What we saw last night, I think, will have a decade-long impact on the NBA, both roster composition, how players are remembered. I think Durant would have been the all-time leading scorer in the history of the NBA. I don't think he will be now. No one's ever really come back from this. No one over 6'10 has ever come back from this. And we may have really, truly lost the best player of our generation, along with LeBron, or the, one, the, the next best after LeBron last night. I mean, it's really it's awful. Um, and then there's so many... Then, you know, so if that's the, the injury is Durant and then there's all these branches off it, one of them is what you're talking about, Hans, which is 
You know, how did it go down? Not in the sense of trying to find blame. It doesn't do any good. The Achilles is still going to be torn. Um, but, and this is a hard comment to make because I'm not implying that I think any doctor would do anything unscrupulous. I'm just talking about from, as an athlete's point of view, from my own personal comfort zone. It has not, I'm not saying that I think doctors are doing things on behalf of the team over players. But I could not be a professional athlete and have a team doctor be my final word. I just yeah. couldn't do it. I would have to have my own people. And then the minute you do that, you're an iconoclast and people are upset that you're going outside the system. And so I, I don't know. And then you get the nasty comments that we had about Kevin Durant all week, which was like, is he really, is, is he tapping out? Is he not playing? Is he protecting his own legacy? I mean, there was, you know, some of that is unfair and some of that is just the circumstance and some of that's probably on Durant for the way this whole year has gone down, but it obviously wasn't fair and that all exists. So there's nothing really good here. And, you know, I feel like our fan base has been because of Stockton and Malone has been one of the worst about this, that we just don't ever understand why anybody's ever hurt and why they shouldn't play. Malone would have played Stockton would have played like you just can't do that to players. It's not fair. You don't understand what's going on. Um, and I just don't know. I, you know, it's such a weird thing, right? Because, I know Mike Elliott and Eric Waters, and they're only in, uh, the Jazz performance staff. Their only interest is player health, and David Petron and Dr. Mack, and their only interest is the player health. And yet, if I was that player, I'm Dante Exum. I'm getting on the plane to L.A. to go get a specialist to look at me. I just and get it. Not that those guys, just somebody else. I just yeah. there's too much convoluted in all of it um, in those circumstances. Well, I just think you know you do that in your normal life anyway. I mean, you you receive significant health issue news you want to have somebody else a new set of eyes on it i I think that's just as wise advice for anybody out there let alone a guy whose body is 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 generating you know millions and millions of dollars for you and your next generations of uh, family members you know the one thing that i want to do and and i guess maybe this sounds a little callous but it is the the reality of what we live in now that this happened how does this affect uh, how things are going to look July 1 across the landscape of the NBA? I mean, this is why I think it, I think it has – this is just an incredible moment in the league. Um, I think it has a decade-long impact in medical health, right? We just talked about that. I think that Kawhi's load management this year coupled with Durant's injury is going to change the way we do play – the way we play players. Um, and I think it has a decade-long impact on rosters. Um I could very well see Kawhi. I, I had heard a lot of Kawhi and Durant together with the Clippers. Um, I had mentioned that to you guys. I had heard that. As much as we were all hearing Durant and Kyrie together, I had heard the Durant and Kawhi together um, as much as that in inside league circles. Um, Brooklyn's trade this week led you to believe that they actually thought they had something going on as they cleared the second max spot. Well, maybe that was Kyrie and Durant, for all we know, and, and what I was hearing wasn't accurate. And But now, is like Kyrie going to Brooklyn by himself? Is Kawhi still going to go to the Clippers by himself? LeBron, excuse me, um, or has LeBron suddenly become more prominent that suddenly Kyrie wants to go back to L.A. so he can be with that star? Like, a, a one of the five players in the league and maybe four players in the league who – you know, change the landscape of your franchise is off the board. Two of them were going to move. Three of the top ten players in the league were going to move. And I think there's a chance that Kawhi now looks at the landscape and says, you know what, I'll stay in Toronto. 
because I don't have Durant anymore. And I think there's a chance that Kyrie suddenly now is more interested in Boston this morning than he was otherwise because he doesn't have Durant to play with anymore. You know, the next guy that you're going to, you know, your whole if you're pairing with this this iconic top ten player in the history of the game, the next player you're, you know, so now it's Kyrie and Tobias Harris. Like that, that's not Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Like that's not the same thing. So, and it in Kawhi's situation feels a little different. That it feels like he really just wants to get back to LA, and that's been the plan the whole time. Kyrie's is some weird hunt for something, and I don't know what whether that hunt for what he's looking for is still out there anymore. There's a chance that this whole free agency, because of this injury, just becomes almost a dud. Kawhi stays, Kyrie stays, Anthony Davis gets traded, and we move on. David, one thought I had last night when I saw DeMarcus Cousins in that final 15 seconds get the offensive foul and give Toronto the opportunity for the win is can Golden State really come back from this deficit if they're having to rely on DeMarcus Cousins in closing minutes? Coming back from the injury and being the knucklehead he is at times, can they can they yeah. really find a way to win this? Yeah, I don't think so. Um at the time last night when it was over, you're caught up in just, oh, my gosh, you just can't kill these guys, right? That they're, you know, they're the Roger Federer of tennis. You can have 17 match points against Federer and Nadal, and you're still not going to win the match. They're, they're going to find a way to always win the last point. And it certainly felt that way a little bit with the Warriors last night, that, they, that they're just going to forever win the last point. But they hit 23s last night. They did that only six times in 82 games during the regular season. They haven't done it in a playoff game, ironically enough, since the elimination game against Oklahoma City. Um, and they got really good minutes from DeMarcus Cousins. And I just don't think they can get both of those again, and they won by one. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if at this point um, – and, and ironically, I, I think I actually might feel – more comfortable right now that Toronto's actually going to win this series than any point. You, mm. you did wonder if Durant came back. Um, if they got, if Durant had been healthy and they won game five with Durant being a contributor, every day he was going to get better toward game seven. And I just probably would have, if we'd gone to a game seven with Durant healthy, thought the Warriors would get it. Um, but without Durant, um, with Livingston and Iguodala just being so limited, you, you really, you know, this just goes back to some basic things it's almost impossible to score the basketball with only two shooters on the floor. Like to score the basketball with two shooters, only two shooters on the floor, particularly in a playoff series is just really difficult when the team knows you, even in the regular season, it takes mastermind level stuff to get it done. But you, you just to be good enough offensively. They only have two shooters on the floor right now. You're not worried about Iguodala. They're not worried about Draymond. They're not worried about Livingston. They're not guarding Cousins. They're not guarding Bogut. They're not guarding Looney. And it's just so crowded. They, they can't get to the rim at all. So uh, I think that in this day and age, you've got to have three or four shooters. And frankly, that's not this day and age. If you go back to the Jazz in the NBA Finals against the Chicago Bulls, go, and you went back and looked at the play-by-play, you know, those, every single playoff series used to get small. It would always, always get small. It wasn't that it got small, it got shooting. Because you need shooting on the floor, you have to have shooting. And even in, it's not a new era thing, if you just kind of go back and look at it. We, you know, Malone was playing center at times, and Antoine Carr was playing center because he is a 16, 17-foot shooter. He was classified as as a shooter and um the bulls would the bulls would go small and i think there was even moments where kukoc was playing the five in some of those series and that's 20 million years ago the flu game was what 
20, you know, 32 years ago today or something like that or whatever it is uh, was the flu game. And, you know, if you go back and look at the lineup, they're small. So you just can't survive with only two got two shooters in this league. And so I think the Raptors still win the series. David, one of the things that's happening this morning is Nick Nurse is taking a little bit of heat for calling the timeout with three minutes and five seconds left. And I've cited a couple of times this morning the fact that the NBA has changed the rule where you only have two timeouts in the final three minutes of a game. Is is this not kind of common? Is this not uh, is this something that's completely out of the norm? And do you put any blame on Nick Nurse for calling the timeout at that point? So th- three quick thoughts on it. Believe it or not, I'll be quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nick Nurse forgot about the feel of the game and got into the habit of just calling that timeout. Yeah. And because of the rule change you're talking about, that at the two-minute mark you lose those timeouts. And so he looked up and just called it like he always does. That, that's probably a mistake. Up six with the ball, if you score, game's over. You go up three possessions, the numbers fly dramatically in your favor. I did this study this year on leads in the fourth quarter. And if you go from six to eight, it's a jump from about 82 percentile win percentage to about 94% win percentage. Um, you actually will see the coaches that are aware of this. Quinn's one of them. When he'll call the timeout the other way, down five, he calls the timeout to make sure he goes and scores so that they don't not score and go down seven. It's a, it, it's a, big, mo- it's a big swing in the game. So in that sense, that timeout actually makes some sense because you're trying to get the perfect play. And if, you, if they had scored, and I think Kawhi missed a 14-footer, um, that game's over. So I actually don't – there was a lot going on. There's a lot of emotion. That's probably the reason not to call it. Everything you've coached all year is to use that timeout at that point. This is the right time to use that timeout. This is the possession that wins the game. Let's do it perfectly. So I don't think it's as bad a call as everybody else does, but I can get where there seemed to be a lack of feel for that night. But I also, as a numbers guy, like coaches that have philosophies and stick to them and don't get caught in emotion. So I might give them credit for that, actually. We don't see a lot of, and this is assuming Toronto wins uh, and closes this thing out, we don't see a lot of one-off NBA champions. Uh, if Toronto's able to keep Kawhi, is this a team that could continue to keep doing this, or is this going to be one of those you know, Detroit Piston teams that kind of come out of nowhere, win a title, and you don't hear from them again? Who's the best player in the NBA now? Um, might be Kawhi Leonard. Right? It was probably Kevin Durant yesterday. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Like, if Kawhi stays, they win because he's the best player in the NBA. Well, he certainly uh, has a pretty good path to the Steph, NBA Steph Finals, by, that's for sure. Steph, by the way, has an argument to it, too. Oh, yeah. Not forget, we, keep, we always forget Steph. Like, Steph is revolutionizing this game and is just so much better and has so much of a more impact on the game than I think anyone realizes. David, appreciate your time as always, man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, My pleasure. Hey, David, I want to set the record straight because Scotty thinks that we did orchestrate the two proud father moments <laughs> on Twitter, and that couldn't have been more random. That was totally random, and Scotty probably with uh, his rock star kids had plenty of, plenty of proud moments as well. He's just actually more humble than we are, no, so I, uh, he I, didn't have to share it. I, I screenshot it, uh, and I should have sent it to you too, but I, I screenshot the, the two back-to-back and then texted hands ago, well, my kids uh, had their first day of summer vacation and ate their weight in Cheetos on the couch today. <laughs> so You know, and really, that's... <laughs> We had an int- this is a longer conversation, but I'm actually it's an interesting thing of what we prioritize. My son's had a pretty good ski career and a really good academic career, and he literally sat across from a coach the other day 
um, in a recruiting situation, I guess, or just an information situation, and the coach literally asked him. I mean, it was a pretty elite school to try to get into. So I understand what the coach was saying. He was like, well, what else do you bring to the table? And my son was like, not a lot. Like, for the last 10 years of my life, I've tried to be a World Cup ski racer and the best student I can possibly be, and I'm you know, have a resume that allows me to sit across from your school, which is legitimately as good as any in the country. And like the coach is asking, like, what else do you got? And it's like, I, afterwards I thought about it. Like I said to him, like, that's your college essay, actually. Like the fact that we're in a day and age where there's a terrible child suicide rate, there's a credible mental health kid problem. You for 10 years of your life have dedicated yourself to this incredible, like un, like unrelenting task of almost not having a day off in 10 years. And they want more. Yeah, and I was like, and you know, and I was like, you know what you should write about? You should write about watching Jeopardy with Mom, and the fact that you read books in series so you don't have to choose the next title because you don't want to worry about it because you just want to get away because you've actually done these things for ten years with no mental health problems, with very little stress, really with very little trouble. That should actually be what you're rewarded for, not what else is there. So all am all for eating Cheetos your weight and Cheetos on the couch and should be really beeping, beeping proud of that. Well, they, they do a good job. Be, uh, eating the Cheetos. They're, they're, uh, they're high achievers in that, in that regard. So. <laughs> yeah, your kid, all our kids are great. I really, I think in this day and age, the standard, you know, we should reward niceness and the ability to get through days without anxiety. Yeah. And those are the two things we probably should be looking at. David, you're the man. Thanks for your time. Thanks, David. See you.